Well, there's something about death that brings life into special focus. And we know that, don't we, in these days of coronavirus? There's something about those graphs, about those graphics. There's something about the news and the tweets that we see. There's something about those once-a-day trips on empty streets to empty shops with empty shelves that makes you realise no day can be taken for granted and no tomorrow can be assumed. Death, or even some distant threat of it, brings life into special focus. It makes you reflect back. How have I been living life, you ask? What kind of person have I become? What has God been teaching me throughout? But it also makes you look forward, doesn't it? Um, what's life going to be like in the future? Uh, and this is really what Jacob is doing in Genesis chapter 40 and 49. Uh, when we come to this, Jacob is an old man on his deathbed. For half of Genesis, we've followed Jacob's life and it basically divides into two, the bit about Jacob and the bit about Joseph. And uh, Jacob has just been reunited with Joseph. Uh, he and his entire family have, with God's blessing, uh, settled in Egypt. And now sometime later, he is reflecting back and looking forward. And those are the two points that outline where we'll be going this morning. So number one, reflecting back. This is what uh, chapter 48 is all about. At the start of chapter 48, Jacob's in bed. Joseph and his sons come in and old Jacob finds the strength to sit on, sit up and make two things clear. He wants to say, Joseph, sons, God has blessed me in two ways. First of all, God has spoken to me. Now, in general terms, he has, but in specific ways too. If you look with me at verses three and four of chapter 48, you will find Jacob uh, recalling how God appeared to him and gave him that uh, capital P promise that was first given to granddad Abraham and then to his dad Isaac and then latterly to him. And it was a promise uh, that of a people, tons of them, and a place, a land of their own and presence, God, uh, with them to bless them. And in that promise, of course, safely wrapped, was the great promise that goes all the way back to the start of Genesis, the one given to Adam and Eve in Genesis 3.15, the promise of a sin-crushing saviour. Now here, at the end of his life, uh, it's like Jacob cannot get over just how gracious it was of God to speak to him and to bless him. And I wonder if we are too. God has spoken to us, he has made himself known to us and he has blessed us through his word, particularly through his son, as Hebrews 1 tells us. Uh, he's saved us through his word and changing us through his word. And so perhaps today is a day to look back on all the times that we have gathered uh, in person and say, thank you for that, Lord. It was gracious of you to give us that. But also to look back on all the ways that God has shaped us and formed us in, in accordance with the teaching of his words, whether it's something that he by his spirit has given us insight into on his own or something that a brother or sister has shared with us. Well, God not only blessed Jacob by speaking to him, we find in this passage in chapter 48 that he blessed Jacob by shepherding him. You see that in verses 15 to 16 in particular, in the midst of this blessing that he's given to the boys, he calls God 
the God who has been my shepherd all my life to this day, the angel who has delivered me from all harm. Now, to be shepherded is uh, to be cared for and to be loved, uh, to not only be led and fed, but protected and preserved. That's why Jacob talks of deliverance too, uh, the one who has delivered me from all harm. Uh, and deliverance, of course, is what you need when you're in trouble. And uh, if you've tracked with Jacob's life in any way through our Genesis series or read it for yourselves in your Bible readings, it's not hard to see that trouble was never far from Jacob throughout his life. Uh, sometimes it was self-inflicted and stupid, like stealing his brother's birthright or choosing one of his kids to be his favourite. That's not to be recommended. Uh, but sometimes trouble came to him or even rebounded on him. So his wicked uncle Laban cons Jacob with his very own con. Uh, and then his sons bizarrely con him with a trick, the cruelest of tricks, his favourite son's death. So as Jacob looks back on his life, and as he thinks about where he is now, his family is together, they're reconciled, his lineage is preserved, uh, they are fed in times of famine, and he said, it's like he says, wow, God has really been looking out for me. He really has delivered me from evil, hasn't he? Truly for Jacob, the Lord is his shepherd. He has led him, guided him, and he has been with him. The Lord has indeed delivered him. And what a vital lesson for us today. The Lord is our shepherd too, if we trust in Jesus Christ. To be shepherded by him is to be saved. It's to be known. It's to be delivered. Uh, Jesus says in John 10, I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me. And I lay down my life for the sheep. And what comfort that brings. Christ the good shepherd who delivers us from harm or because of his suffering, in our suffering, delivers us through harm. That's important for us to realise, even at this time. I, I can't go over the fact that there is actually no guarantee that coronavirus won't harm us in some form, or anything else for that matter. But we have every reassurance in God's word that if it does, he has the power to deliver us through harm into everlasting joy, where we will as Psalm 23 reminds us, uh, dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Now, one more thing, and this is important, not everyone knows the comfort of having a shepherd and a deliverer. So let's not wait until we're on our deathbeds to share it. Let's share it now. As Jesus said in John 10, I have other sheep that are not of this sheepfold, I must bring them also. How does he do that? Through us, speaking and re-speaking this gospel to the world so that people might hear and believe. Well, that's the first thing that Jacob reflects on as he looks on his life. But the second thing is that God will bless you. God will bless you, Joseph. God has blessed me and God will bless you. Now, Joseph is blessed by his son's inclusion in the family of promise. Friends of ours recently visited court uh, to have the adoption of their little girl confirmed. Uh, only the presiding judge had that authority. 
And what we find in verses 1 to 20 is that Jacob is like a presiding judge over the adoption of Joseph's two sons, Manasseh and Ephraim. Uh, they're included. Joseph feared they were excluded, but they're in, brought in, as it were, uh, through the righteousness of Joseph. And just as we are brought into God's family through the righteousness of Jesus. And what do they find? They find they are super blessed. And Joseph is super blessed. Because in verses 15 and 16 again of chapter 48, Jacob blesses the boys much in the same way that the blessing had come to Abraham, to Isaac and to himself, to Jacob. But in this particular instance, the younger chosen over the older, in God's strange and wonderful providence, it is a blessing. And then we see, of course, Joseph is blessed by the promise of not only a home for his kids, a place for his kids within his family, but a home of his own. In verse 21, Jacob says, uh, I'm about to die, but God will be with you and take you back to the land of your fathers. Egypt is a temporary home for Joseph. He's not actually going to get to see the promised land properly, to live in it. But it's still his destination. Like Moses after him, who as Hebrews 11.26 says, regarded the disgrace uh, regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ as of greater value than the treasures of Egypt because he was looking forward, ahead rather, to his reward. It seems that Joseph has the very same mindset. Egypt is not his home. Heaven is his home. And I wonder if that's our longing. Uh, this world is not our own home. We're, we are just passing through. And until Joseph reaches there, God is with him to bless him, but God is uh, with us all the way. In these lonely and uncertain times, we can be sure that he is never not there. Now, there's, I guess, only so much looking back you can do until you start looking forward. Uh, we, don't, we know that in these days, of course. I mean, I don't know about you. Uh, I don't know what you're looking forward to. Uh, I certainly am looking forward to going outside without having to worry if I've got hand sanitizer with me. I'm looking forward to walking along the roads without uh, having to cross over in order to avoid people. I'm looking forward to school starting. Uh, I'm looking forward to haircuts and toilet rolls on the supermarket shelf. But of course, there are way bigger things to look forward to as God's people. And way more important things for us to consider Important questions, I guess, like what might God do through this time? What might God refine and reshape in us as a church family? What might God do when we regather? Uh, what will God do in our refocused and recalibrated future? Well, I guess that's what chapter 49 is about for Jacob and his family. Having reflected on how God has blessed him and blessed others, uh, Jacob looks, or Jacob gathers all of his sons, his 12 sons around his deathbed in this unfamiliar place of Egypt. And in temporary times, he tells them exactly what kind of future they can expect. And interestingly, I've always read this like it was some kind of last will and testament, but it's not. It's actually a prophecy he is giving them God's work for their future. He's saying in verse uh, in chapter 49, gather around so I can tell you what will happen in the days to come. This is what God will do in the future. 
And it's pretty amazing. And this is point two, looking forward. Now, there are 12 sons here and different things are said about each one. We don't have time to go in every, into every single one. But in summary, you can understand that each of Jacob's 12 sons are blessed with a, a, a future as part of the Old Testament people of God, Israel. And God keeps that promise to make them a people. But two sons are especially blessed. Now that's obvious from the word count alone. Uh, when you compare how much, uh, how many words are used to speak to each son, it's obvious who we should focus on. It's Judah and it's Joseph. And what did God promise them? And why does it matter to us? Ah, that's what we're going to look at just now. First of all, to Judah, God promised a kingly line. Now, Judah is in some way first in a line of kings. And two pictures show us that. The first is a lion, the king of the beasts. I'm sure, uh, like me, you've seen Planet Earth. Plenty of David Attenborough um, uh, programs which show us beastly animals in this earth. I think sharks and crocodiles seem pretty fierce, but I guess none can match the dominance and the ferocity and even the protectiveness of a lion. And that's how Judah's pictured here. Dominant. Every other brother bows down to him. Appreciated. Praised by everyone around him. Strong. Protecting his pride by taking out their enemies. The second picture that we see of Judah is a scepter. You know what a scepter is. It is a, it's a fancy rod, really, made of expensive stuff. And it's a symbol of rule, but also of power. Uh, we see this in movies, of course, in Avengers. Uh, Loki had a, a scepter containing the Mind Stone. That was a scepter of power. In Frozen, a scepter is what Elsa held on Coronation Day. That's what uh, Judah is pictured holding and he's pictured holding that symbol of power and rule forever. Now verse 10 says the scepter will not depart from Judah nor the ruler's staff from between his feet until he to whom it belongs shall come and the obedience of the nation shall be his. What an amazing picture. Uh, he to whom it belongs though, what does that mean? Who's that guy? Well, the answer is actually found in the very last book of the Bible. In the book that mentions the name Judah, the picture of a lion, uh, the, the mention of a scepter and the rule of a king surrounded by people who bow down and praise him. It's all there in Revelation. It's all talking about one man. And here's a mashup of what Revelation says. Do not weep. See, the lion of the tribe of Judah has triumphed. He will rule all the nations with an iron scepter. To him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be praise and honour and glory and power forever and ever. And everyone fell down and worshipped. Who's it talking about? It's talking about Jesus, of course. We know Jesus. We know the King Judah looked forward to. Judah would be a ruler in a line of kings until the Son of God came to reign forever. And what can be said of this lion? What can be said of this king's enemies? Well, they're defeated. Satan, sin and death are conquered. He crushed them in death. And as Colossians tells us, 
he made a public spectacle of them. And then he rose victoriously and reigns in undefeatable power. I mean, who can conquer a king who won't stay dead? And what about his reign? Well, it's one of peace, isn't it? One of peace and prosperity, with nations not in strife like they are today, but happily obedient. They love their subservience because he's a loving ruler. And there you go. In the passage, it says things as valuable as wine, fine wine, would be so common to all. You could wash your clothes with it. Again, a picture and uh, not to be recommended. Now, it sounds to me just like John 2 and the wedding at Cana, doesn't it? Jesus' first miracle, showing himself to be the Christ, the Son of God, that people might believe. What does he do? He turns wash water into fine wine, giving those at that wedding the first sip of life under the, the rule of a loving king, Jesus. Judah looked forward to that day when the Messiah would come. But we, this side of the cross, look back to those days of his coming, his living, his dying, his rising, and we now live under his heavenly reign as part of his kingdom, the kingdom that's here, whose kingdom, like an antivirus, is spreading out across the earth, bringing life, not death, to all who will call on him in faith. Lord, have you? That's Joseph, uh, Judah, sorry. What about Joseph? Well, to Joseph, God promised salvation to all nations. In verses 22 to 26, we find Joseph essentially blessing everyone. He's described as a vine. If you look with me at verse 22, Joseph is a fruitful vine near a spring whose branches climb over a wall. Now, vineyards back then were walled. Uh, their fruit for their owner's benefit but here's a picture of vines, heavy with the juiciest of grapes, hanging over the walls of the vineyard. So not just for those inside, but for passers-by as well. What does that mean? Well, it means that Joseph's life has brought salvation and blessing, not just for one nation, Israel, but for all nations. And that blessing isn't to be viewed just as, well, it's to be viewed as nothing short of miraculous, really. Given the assaults on this vine, that the passage draws out for us in verse 23, you know, with bitterness, archers attacked him. They shot at him with hostility. And we know that he was rejected and beaten by his own. He was sold into slavery. He was falsely accused and condemned and put into prison. And we saw glimmers all along the way of the way he blessed whoever came into contact with him. And whatever situation he was in, he was God's man bringing blessing to people from all sorts of nations to Potiphar, his master, and then the prison warden, and then to Pharaoh, and through that position in Egypt to all nations in famine. It was incredible. Joseph is pictured as a saviour to the nations, bringing blessing to everyone, not just his people, he rescues them, but to all nations. But the interesting thing is, Joseph blesses everyone, but the glory belongs to God. Joseph was steadied and strengthened, you see, by him. Verse 24, his bow remained steady, his strong arm stayed supple, because of the hand of the mighty one of Jacob, because of the shepherd, the rock of Israel, because of your father's God who helps you, because of the almighty who blesses you, 
with blessings of the skies above, blessings of the deep springs below, blessings of the breast and womb. Wow. Every blessing to everyone from every nation essentially came through Joseph, but only as it came from God. And again, what a beautiful picture this is of Jesus Christ. The one in whom Ephesians says we have every spiritual blessing in Christ. The one who himself said, I am the vine, you're the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. This is Jesus in whom we find truly God-given, spirit-anointed, steadiness and strength. The one who in fact himself is the mighty one, the shepherd, our rock, our God and our helper. The one who was like Joseph, beaten, rejected, condemned, but still through that affliction, successfully secured salvation even for those who afflicted him. Now Jacob and his sons had incredible promises to look forward to, but we as New Testament people of God, the New Covenant people of God, living this side of the promises, what does life in the King's Kingdom look like for us? What should our lives look like if we are receiving every spiritual blessing in Christ? Well I guess the first question is, have you received that blessing? If you haven't believed in Jesus yet, the imagery for you is clear. You can either pluck the fruit of salvation and enjoy it through faith by believing in Jesus, the giver of all blessing. Or you can pass up that blessing and live life your own way according to your own direction and strength. But do so knowing this. The Bible says you will still face him as a king one day with a scepter in his hand. And if you haven't come to him as saviour and king before that point, it is judgment that he will hand out. But if you come in faith, in sorrow over sin, and in trusting Christ's cross, it's his salvation you'll enjoy. It's his open arms that you'll find. And a seat at his table in glory. Believe in the Lord Jesus and you too will be saved. And for us, brothers and sisters of Charlotte Chapel who believe, uh, praise and thanks are a great place to start for the Lord who is our King and who blesses us with salvation. Gospel focus will be a great thing to recalibrate as we think about these blessings. Seeking help for our unsteadiness and our weakness in our faith is important in these times. Re-establishing priorities around our church family, discipleship, mission and prayer, these are going to be crucial lessons to learn as we live out being beneficiaries of every spiritual blessing in Christ, the one who is our King and our Saviour. So yes, let these days cause us to look back and reflect on the ways that God has spoken to us and blessed us, but let us also look forward to what God will do and live today with our hands 
in Christ as our shepherd and our vine, our king and our saviour.